Hey there, it's Beth. Today you'll meet sisters Cinda and Christy as they share the story of their mom, Jeannie, who they say was the best mom ever. She was given three months to live and lived another eight days. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, Cinda and Christy's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me sisters, Cinda and Christy are here today. Um, We met in an online group that they were participating in, and I posted about the podcast and that I love to hear stories of Daughters Without Moms. And so here they are. Um, They have both said that everyone says that they sound exactly alike, so you might have a hard time distinguishing when they Uh, change who's speaking, but I think that that will be just fine. Um, They have a great relationship and we've had fun before we started recording, uh, just getting to listen to them talk back and forth. So I am going to try to kind of ask some questions along the way. A lot of times I normally mute myself, but um, they felt like it with it being two of them that it might be better if I kind of, you know, ask some guiding conversations along the way. So we're gonna do that. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I, they can introduce themselves once I turn the mic over to them, but I don't know if you'll be able to tell the difference between the two of them once I start talking, because I can see them, but you guys won't see that when, when you're listening to the podcast. So, but I, they are my second set of sisters and I obviously love the sister relationship. And so I think it's awesome to hear the perspectives of, um, you know, sisters in this process. So ladies, I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you introduce yourselves. I'll go first because I'm the oldest. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm Cinda and I'm 55 years old. Oh, we're telling our ages. Oh, man. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, bring it on because my sister just had a 50th birthday. Yeah, and I'm Christy, the younger sister. Even though I have more children, I'm still younger. So she always tries to sell everybody on that one. And I am, yes, recently 50 and I'm holding, but she'll stay at 50 forever. So you got to at least get to 55 where you can get some perks. Um, and so they are both in the Midwest and um, they are both also moms themselves, they told me uh, before we started recording. So I think the best place to start is just for us to, for you to share a little bit of your, your background, kind of what your relationship was like with your mom growing up, since there is six years difference between the two of you. I think, you know, a lot of times there's a, a big change in perspective also. Okay, oldest, you get to go. All right, I'll go first. Um, so I think we had like a leave it to beaver mom. I don't only, only us old people are going to get that, but she brought all the treats to all the school programs. She hosted all the parties. We always had Christmas at our house. Everyone came to our house, both sides of the family. Um, and a few NFMs, which is non-family yep. members. There was always someone at our house that was not related. If you were a teacher that couldn't get home for a holiday or just the neighbors that didn't have anyone anymore, they were at our house always per her request. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So she, um, we would have a whole house full for every holiday and she always hosted. I don't think we were spoiled. I think we had what we needed, but I don't ever remember wearing designer clothes or anything of that sort. We didn't have that kind of thing, but she always made everyone feel super special. I remember one holiday, um, my aunt telling me that I was a baby. I was, I'd just been born and they came out and all the presents, everybody agreed, nobody's buying presents. And lo and behold, under the Christmas tree were presents from Cinda, who was literally like, I don't know, a couple months old. Yeah, no, I was month old. And so all the presents said from me. And so that's how she got away with giving everyone a present because they weren't supposed to bring presents, but that was her, she was very, that was very typical of her. So I, um, my relationship, I, I think that I feel like we were pretty close growing up. I always felt really guilty. I always thought I was kind of rude to her when I was older, but when I, as I, when I got older and apologized, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I guess I wasn't as rude as I thought I was. No, I feel like we were pretty close. 
I definitely think that I got a different mom than my sister. She's going to deny it, but we'll let her tell her story later. I was 21, 22, 21, I think, when they got, when our parents got divorced, and they'd been married for 25 years. So, you know, we didn't know, and it was a huge shocker. It was a huge shocker to the whole community. Everyone thought, what the heck? They, They have they also thought it was leave it to beaver at our house. So, and they had no idea that it happened. And so after that, you know, she, she was a little different, I think, but our relationship probably was better. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think we had a good relationship. I don't, I never thought it wasn't a good one. Mm-hmm. So Christy, I'm gonna let you have it. Okay, well, so I'm younger, of course, we've already, we're going to set that in stone really hard that she's older, because she always tells people I'm, I'm older than her. Anyway, um, yeah, I concur with a lot at what she said, you know, we grew up in a very small town. So, you know, she did everything. I have a similar story, because my aunts just reminded me on my birthday about this happening the year I was born, I was actually born on Easter Sunday. And apparently mom got up. And I have Let's see, Casey's older? Casey's a February baby, isn't he, Cinda? Yeah. Okay, Casey's February, my cousin. Anyway, mom got up early Sunday morning on Easter morning and got all the Easter baskets ready and even had one for Casey, who was just, you know, a month and a half old or something like that, before she went to the hospital to have me. So they always talked about that, like Cinda's story. I kind of have one of the same, but we kind of have an interesting setting, I think, in our family because there's three of us. There's a brother between us. And I always told my siblings that Cinda was our dad, Craig was a mixture of mom and dad, and I was 100% mom. Just there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the older that we've gotten, Cinda has now transitioned into a mixture of the two of them. Craig became our dad, but I'm still 100% mom. I've never changed. I'm just going to stay that way. But I think growing up, you know, like she said, when they got divorced, I was still at home. And so I was the one that was still there. So I spent a lot of time with mom. It was just her and I at that point. So yeah, I probably did have a little bit of a different upbringing because she was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Because when they got divorced, mom started going to singles dances and single support groups. And so she was going out and doing things. And so therefore that let me at home to go out and do things. And I just had to beat her home. That's all I had to do for, for my, uh, curfew but we got to do a lot of things because there was just the the two of us and our neighbor was actually my best friend so and her parents were divorced so the three of us we would go heck we went to Kansas City one time to Worlds of Fun and just different things so yeah we definitely had a different relationship in high school but I feel like after we got out and we became adults you, you develop a whole different relationship with your parent as an adult than you did when you were younger. And, and Cinda and I have developed a whole different relationship, you know, now that we're, we're actually adults and, and have families and we don't hate each other anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Mom was what is one of those people that uh, was involved in everything. You know, if it was a club, she was involved in it. I mean, what did she have? She was involved in PEO. She was involved in, she had her Bunko group. She started a Red Hatter Society when she moved to Pratt. We lived in the same town. Um, I got to thinking, Cinda, we lived, I was like five or six when we moved out of our first house and we moved into a bigger house and we lived there for 15 years because I was 20 and mom moved to a rental house for five years. And then she moved to where she was at and she was at that house 20 years. So I was, it was kind of like it even balanced both places. But when she moved to uh, the new town, she retired shortly after that. And so her life became, she started a red hat club and she had Bunko and she worked at the hospital as a hospital, what was it? Hospital auxiliary volunteer volunteer Mm -hmm. there. And she had her PEO and then they had a pitch club. Her and her boyfriend played in a lot of years. And I feel like that was mom's uh, calling in life to do the I want to say humanitarian, but that's not the right word. What's the word I want to say? I can't say that word either. Philanthropy. Yeah. It was all about giving for her. And so she finally, when she was able to retire early, was able to go and do those things. So, okay, I'll take it one step further. Um, 
kind of jumping forward, but this lady had 12 margarita glasses, 12 daiquiri glasses, 12, you, everything in 12s, because if she had the ladies over, she had to have all these different settings. So she was very, very, every holiday was to the, to the uh, hills. She just decorated everything up and did it to the extreme. How's that for an answer? She did everything to the extreme. Mom and I were very, very close. Uh, not probably as much as Cinda and her, I think toward the end, because I live two and a half hours away and Cinda lived, what, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is for you from where she was. So there were some little differences in that as we got older. But I think when you have, get older and have kids and start a family, those dynamics shift with your parents a little bit because you just can't be there all the time. So that's yeah, but of, if you needed her, she was kind of the one that like, oh, hey, I'm going to hang some wallpaper in the bedroom. You want to come help me? Yep, she'd be there and she'd be hanging the wallpaper. She always had all the stuff to do it, too. So you never had to buy anything. Mm-hmm. She came with all the gear, all the stuff, and she was up for about any project you wanted to do. So, yeah, she came in actually you know, when we, we went on a few trips and she came up and stayed with my kids, she was retired. So she could, and that was nice. I mean, she wouldn't, she was at every grandkids event that she could be. If she could get there, she was at their sporting event or their music event or whatever it might be. She was going to make herself present and be involved. I don't know. I think that's- And with that being said, she also, uh, another thing that's, I think is fair. I didn't even really know it until you know, we started talking about probably about her obituary. I don't even know or something. And she said she had traveled to every state in the United States except Hawaii. And that was the one that she always wanted to go to. She'd never been there. She'd been to every other state. And so she was a traveler. She really liked to travel. And this boyfriend that she had for 35 years or however many, he liked to travel too. So that worked out really well. She could travel with him, come back, send him home to his own house and not have to be remarried to him perfect 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 and she liked it that way I think they I I think it worked for both of them they had their space and and everything but yeah wow well it sounds like you were very blessed to have your the June Cleaver mom and her name was Jeannie so that's not too far off of June yeah same initials actually Jeannie Carson June Cleaver there you go (laughs) look at that look at that I know Well, so let's transition and tell me a little bit about your journey with your mom and her diagnosis and being sick and lead us down that path, which I know is not fun, but it's part of your story. Well, her story really kind of started back in 2015. And in 2015, she found out she had bladder cancer. And so she went through the treatments of all of that and, um, did well with it and got through all of that. I felt like she was, I, she, they basically said she'd recovered from it. So that was great. And I remember to tag on to the travel story. This is just kind of a fun story. I, I had called her up. I told my husband, I said, okay, this has been our, our scare. Let's call it our scare. I said, we don't know how long she's got. And I said, I want to take mom on a trip. And I said, I just want to throw it out there and let her decide we'll go anywhere she wants to go. I said, I'm preparing you. This might cost me a little bit of money. And so in the back of my head, I honestly thought, okay, she's going to want to go to Denmark or England. Because when we were in, when Cinda was in high school, we had a foreign exchange student from Denmark. And so I thought, oh, she probably will want to go over there, see that area. And also her family was from England originally, and there's an actual castle in England that was in the family name. And so I thought, gosh, I want to go do that. I was all excited. I was like, this will be fun. So I called her up and I said, hey, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? She said, could I think about it? And I said, yeah, you can have a few days. So I called her back a couple of days later and I said, so what'd you, th- what'd you decide? She goes, I just don't know. She says, but if I could do anything, I'd just like to go someplace with you kids. I'm like, crap. So I got on the phone. I text both of them. I said, okay, I need, look at your schedules, see what you can figure out, see if we can figure out some time we can all get away with mom. And so I, uh, I nailed him down. I kind of tricked Craig, our brother, because I, he told me a time frame and I wiggled an extra day out of him. He didn't, I don't even know if he ever figured that one out or not. But anyway, so I called her back and I said, okay, I got you four days. Where do you want to go? And her exact words were, 
can we get to Hawaii and back? And I said, no, mom, we can't get to Hawaii and back in four days. But anyway, so we actually ended up narrowing it down and we ended up going to Branson for, oh my gosh, I think we were four or five days, I think is how long we were gone. None of us had been to Branson. She'd been there a gazillion times because they used to go there a lot. And, but it was her chance to show us Branson. So yeah, there was no grass growing under our, our brother just wanted to take a nap and we just like, nope, Cinda's like, I'm out of town, we're going. And I think she really enjoyed that trip. But that was in, was that in 15 or 16? I don't remember when we took, yeah, I think it was 15 when we took that trip right after, because she left, I think her last doctor's appointment and we left right after that, after her cancer scare. Then we found out in December of 2018, she was going in to have a back surgery because she had, I can't tell y'all the medical terminology for what she had, but um, she had a lot of back pain. So she was going in to have back surgery. She insisted on them doing an x-ray because she just, that's, they always did x-rays before they did surgeries. And when they did the x-rays, then they found something on her lung. So that led us to um, going into getting in to see a specialist. And we showed up that day, Cindy and I both went with her and we showed up that day and he uh, kind of told us what he wanted to do. There was, he wanted to go in and, and take the spot off the lung and um, he kept apologizing. Actually remove the, the remove the lower lobe of her lungs. He, they were going to have to take the lower lobe to, to even right. get the cancer. So, and I remember he kept apologizing to us because he said, you know, I, I, I can do this procedure, you know, that is supposed to be non-invasive and, but I just really think I need to open her up. And I think I have better chance at getting the, the tumor. And we're, we're kind of looking at each other. We have no clue what this guy is talking about. And finally, we figured it out that he was a specialist that people came to from all over to do this non-invasive procedure. And we're like, we don't care how you do it, just get it out. I mean, we didn't, we had no clue that this is who we were sitting with. And he said, uh, we said, when can you do it? And he says, well, how about tomorrow? And we're like, okay. <laughs> so literally we went from talking to him about what we're gonna do to having surgery the very next day. And they, they did get, they did get the tumor out. Uh, and then she started uh, chemo treatments is what we did first, I believe, was chemo and did several rounds of that. Um, did really good. I mean, for, I, I felt like, I don't know, did you feel like Cinda? I think she did really good through the chemo treatments. It really didn't bother her that much. No, I absolutely think she tolerated everything really well. She had a positive attitude. She was in good health when it started. I feel like that was the huge part was she was in such good health that this was completely out of the blue and her attitude. She's always had the attitude that, okay, this has to be done. Let's get it done. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and sometimes to the detriment of the person that she's talking to, because it's like, okay, she wants to do it right now and we're not waiting. And sometimes you can't do it right now. You have to wait, but she was one that wanted to do it right this second. Let's get it done. Let's do it to the perfection. And, but yeah, she, no, she tolerated it really well. Yeah. And she, she did went through several rounds of chemo. Um, by the beginning of 2020, I believe. Um, well, actually she ended up, did she go on? No, she had her back surgery. She ended up going back and having her back surgery. In she had of 19. Yeah, she literally had her lung partially removed. And then within nine weeks or whatever the amount of time that they said you can have, was, was nine it nine months? months? Mm-hmm. Nine months, they said, is the earliest we can do that. And she went back in and she had her back surgery and immediately was 100% feeling better because the back hurt way worse than the cancer never did hurt. So just getting her back fixed completely changed her whole I think outlook on everything because she felt so much better and she and she did great through that so she and she was doing that during chemo yeah and we went back to doing that and that was like I said that was September of 19 and then in the beginning of 2020 somewhere in there it was around April maybe they started to take the they started to do the Keytruda I think it was then probably she also had radiation at some point in there yeah, she had some radiation and stuff, but they started her on Keytruda and it, it just really messed with her system. It took her, it really, I don't remember the particulars of it, but it just drained her system and she just couldn't, it, 
it knocked her knocked her on her butt. Let's just be honest. What is that? Keytrader. It's an immunotherapy thing that they do. It's supposed to help with um, tolerating the chemo and things and helping your body recover faster. And and I don't know if it does. Um, it's kind of experimental, I think, in some ways. But well, they just said that they they had found it much more successful. People had much more success in doing the chemo with the Keytruda and it was helping them. So they, she tried it a couple times and she had to stop it every time we started it because it was just taking her down. But we even had a, we're on zoom right now talking to you, you know, we can see each other. We even had a zoom hair removal party because <laughs> it was during COVID, which didn't really matter, but she just decided she was getting quite a bit of hair. So Cinda showed up with her trimmers and and uh, we zoomed that day and we uh, got upgraded from our 45 minute uh introductory ordeal I think we were on for three hours or something but so we we took our hair off all together like we always did but um anyway so we ultimately the the journey that we we went down was I kind of started looking at some of our notes as far as we started talking about this and she had just slowly gotten a lot weaker. I mean, just was not feeling good. Ended up going back in. We had another PET scan done. Then she had to go in and have a liver biopsy because they were seeing something on her liver. And kind of from there, things just kind of, she just really started going downhill. And we had already planned to get together on uh, Labor Day weekend and all the kids were coming home and going to be together. She did not want to do this. Wasn't that on like a Friday or something that she was going to come home or did she come home on Saturday? I think she came home on Saturday and we were supposed to get together on Sunday or what happened. No, what had happened was, is, uh, she had ended up going to the hospital with COVID. You couldn't, you know, nobody could really be there. So it was kind of a one person thing. And so Cinda was working. And of course I'm two and a half hours away and, uh, they called and thought she was having a heart attack. She was actually in the hospital at the time. And so they transported her to another big city heart, heart, heart hospital to check her out. And so she was actually in the heart hospital. She went there on a Wednesday, Thursday. She went there on a Thursday. And so by Saturday, we just looked at him. They said she wasn't, she had the broken heart syndrome. If you've heard of it, that's what she was having. She wasn't having a heart attack. They called it the broken heart syndrome. And so they weren't doing anything for her. So we just said, okay, why are we here? Because we don't need to be sitting in a hospital where one of us is in here and one of us sitting in the car. So we asked and they said that we could take her home because they weren't giving her anything. So we hauled her home on a Saturday and she did not want this party on Sunday. We did the party on Sunday, didn't we? I don't remember if it was Sunday or Monday. Doesn't really matter. I think it was Sunday. And I told her, I said, mom, you know what? Even if, if you're tired, you just say, I'm tired and go to the bedroom and lay down and take a nap. If you want to go, whatever, whatever you want to do. Well, it worked out really well because people are not going to care. All they're here is to see you. And I said, you know, this may be the last time that we really were very candid with our mother, if you can't tell. And so we just said, you know, this may be the only time that you're going to be able to physically speak to some of these people. And you need to take advantage of that because you may not get a chance to see him again. They, and it was COVID. So, you know, they may not even get to see you. If you end up in a hospital somewhere, they may not get to see you. So you need to let anybody that wants to come, come and see you. It's not like we think you're dying. We're not telling you that. I mean, we knew she was dying, obviously, but she wasn't, we didn't think it was going to happen soon. We just felt like she needed to take advantage of being able to, and it was a long weekend. So people could come And so she finally agreed. And actually we had, I think both of my kids were there. All four Christie's were there. Did Craig's come? Cassie was there. Yeah, we have a niece that lives 14 hours away and she came. Was Craig there? Craig was there. there. Yeah, Craig was there. I knew that. But yeah, so we, we did. We had the party and she thoroughly enjoyed it. I really do. I think she thoroughly enjoyed that party. And she collected, um, Precious Moments had a gazillion of them, which are still present and accounted for in my basement right now. Um, but anyway, she collected Precious Moments. And so Cinda, I think you had, you guys had started that kind of going through them and she was picking out ones yeah. she wanted to give 
the grandkid. Right. And so that, well, that let her have that day to actually personally give those to those kids. Yeah, we, I always joked and said, well, we always teased about, it. she always said, if there's anything in my house that you think you want, just write your name on it. And so, you know, we'd grab a Sharpie marker, put her name on the bottom, whatever. And so I was telling her, I said, you know, she goes, I just don't know what I'm gonna do with all these precious moments, figurines. I, who's gonna want them? They're not worth any money. Who's gonna want them? I said, mom, you know what would be the best thing? I think if you personally picked out one for each child and grandchild, then it means something to them that you picked it out for them. So we started going through them and, and she would say, oh, well, that reminds me of your brother or that reminds me of so-and-so. And so she, then we started putting names on them. And then she, she got to give them to them then that Labor Day weekend when we all got together. So I think that really was, and I think it meant more to those kids, to the kids that she picked it out and it wasn't just, okay, here's my stuff, grab something. Yeah, there was a connection, which was, was nice, but um, so yeah, that was like September 6th when we did that, we had that gathering over Labor Day weekend and all got together and basically the next, you know, few weeks were kind of a, a downhill slide. We had determined that we knew that her strength was gone. And so we knew we could not, she couldn't stay at home anymore. And we were ha- struggling to find someone to come into the house to help her. And so we had decided that we could get her into a rehab facility there. I mean, part of it was a nursing home, honestly, and the other half was rehab that she could get in and build some strength up. We were going to put her in there. Well, she ended up in the hospital before that because she was so weak. And then she did go over to the rehab center for a little bit. And that was only, she was only in there a few days. And it was a Thursday, Thursday, the 17th of September is when she had had her doctor's appointment, uh, telemed of course, because you didn't go anywhere um, with her cancer doctor. And he basically had told her, he said, you know, you've got three months. We're to, we're to that point. Because her, I guess we didn't preface with hers was, am I correct, send a stage four? Stage four lung yeah. cancer is what it was. It ended up being that, yeah. yeah. And so he basically told her, you know, we have three months. And apparently that three months in her world didn't mean three months. <laughs> because that was on a Thursday, the 17th. And I came home the weekend and Cindy and I went and saw her because we could only do uh, window visits at that point at the, the places because they weren't letting you in. And so we saw her on Saturday and Sunday. And then by Wednesday, they had called and said that um, she was having a lot of pain with her feet. So Cindy and I met, went down and met with her at, at the, nurse, the nursing home, the rehab center on Wednesday. By Wednesday night, I had a phone call because I was staying the rest of the weekend. Well, but back up Wednesday, what? when they, when we got there, they just let us in and we're like, what's yeah. going on here? We didn't have any idea why they were letting us in. Well, apparently they were the, under the assumption that she was on hospice. If you're on hospice, that's a completely different rules for who gets in. And so they just let us in. So we sat in there and visited with her, talked all, that all that whole evening and we're like okay tomorrow we're going to move you across the hall to a different room that way other people can see you and you're not back in this corner by yourself because she was very social so the fact that she wasn't visiting with people or organizing other people's lives was kind of unusual for her she was like okay that's great and she complained a couple of times that day and and the strange thing now looking back she complained about her feet but she never said to us about it she was a hospice volunteer also on her long list of things and she knew about dying she knew about the stages of death she knew all that and she never once said to us okay I think this is it because she should have yes she (laughs) should have have given some warning yeah I'll let Christy finish (laughs) Well, maybe, I don't know. But but anyway, so we left there that day and actually we had taken quite a few things from her room because she was going to move rooms and we thought we don't want to have to mess with all this stuff. So um, Cinda went home. I went back to her house and about 11 o'clock that night, I got a phone call that they were taking her to the hospital. And so I got dressed and got up and went over there and went, met her in the ER and her legs were just hurting. She said her legs hurt. So they ended up doing a sonogram and they told us she had a blood clot in I don't even remember where it was and so they went ahead and put her in the hospital I think we got to a room about five o'clock in the morning 
And then Sunday got over there the next morning and we just talked and, and we, we had, at that point, we had made the decision. We had said, okay, we're done with this. We're just going to get you home. We're going to, we decided we were transitioning to hospice period. We didn't care what it was. And we were going to get a hospital bed and we were going to get it at the house. And we told her, we said, you know, we're just going to tomorrow, Friday, we'll take you home. We'll just, well, she had always said that she didn't know she wanted us taking care of her, which was kind of, I don't know. I thought it was ironic because we have a nurse and we have how many CNAs in the family. And it's like, we have people that are capable of doing this, <laughs> but she's like, you girls don't need to take care of me. So, so not we're not really sure, sure if she didn't think we were capable or if yeah. she just didn't want us taken care of her. I don't know. But so essentially, um, you know, we were going to move her home Friday morning and Cinda left early that evening and I stayed the night until about one in the morning and our brother Craig came back and, and stayed with her until the morning and I went home to her house and he called us the next morning about seven or something like that. And said, probably, and he'd actually gone home during the night, took down her bed, got it all ready for the hospice to bring in a hospital bed, tore the bed completely down to put it in the garage. He, we were ready. Yep. And, and I told her before I left, I said, Hey, okay, we're going to take you home tomorrow. You're going to go on hospice. They are going to bring a hospital bed for you and you get to go home tomorrow. I said, so I will see you in the morning. We will take care of this. I love you. She said, I love you too. And I left. Yeah. And when I left that morning, about one o'clock in the morning, I uh, walked over. I, I honestly, this entire time from when we got her to the hospital the night before, she was exhausted. She was just flat exhausted. And I just thought, you know, don't bother. She needs to sleep. She's got to build a rest. That's all I was thinking about. And so when I was there with her that evening, I just let her rest. And when she needed stuff, did things. And so when I left, I went over and leaned over and I remember giving her a kiss on the cheek and her eyes just popped open. And I was like, whoa, I haven't seen those for a while. Cause she hadn't, I mean, the last time she'd really said a lot to us was her, her elbow was hurting. Apparently said the thought she <laughs> yeah. was saying elbow and it was tailbone from sitting in the hospital bed, <laughs> but I'll never live that one down. No. <laughs> But anyway, so I left and went home and, and like I said, our brother called the next morning at, at uh, seven and said, you guys better get here. And it had significantly declined at that point. And basically by 949 that morning, she was gone with. I, I do want to say though, the, the two, I had two requests, two requests about her death was uh, was I didn't want her to be in pain, which she never was that I, I mean, anything time she was in pain, we took care of it. It wasn't an issue. And the second thing was I did not want her to die alone. And that was the only thing I worried about being in the hospital during COVID was that people couldn't be there with her. Well, once she went on hospice, she ended up having, I don't know, did we count it? Was it 13 people? I don't even know. And it, it was, was 13 enough. close people. It was all three of her children. My son came, her, her brother, brother was there, her boyfriend from long time, his daughter, her best friend showed up right before she died. So there was eight of us in there. That was, that was the two things I, that's uh, all I wanted. That's all I wanted was don't be in pain and not to die alone. And I think, and it, it, and, and it happened. So that was, that was good. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I, I always prayed about, you know, was, was, the not being in pain. And, and I, we, we both knew from history that this could have been a very long and drawn out painful process of death. And we didn't want that. That was, that was the biggest thing. You know, we didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want her to have to suffer and suffer and suffer with like it could be. And we didn't have that. If I guess if death can be peaceful, it was peaceful. I mean, I don't know well, if you can say death is peaceful, but we, the, our sister, other sister, sister from another Mr. Mother, sister, whatever. <laughs> she um she's she even she's said a she's a nurse. And she even said, I have I have never seen any I've seen a lot of people die and I've never seen anybody die that that peaceful. And so that made us feel good because I certainly didn't want to see suffering no. at all. And and at she all. didn't. She didn't. She she 
And, and I feel like we can say in confidence that she went out on her own terms because she didn't have us taking care of her because she was apparently either, either not capable or <laughs> I'm not sure which it was, but yeah. I, I feel Chris, like she did it on her terms. Yeah. Christy was convinced that was why, because, yeah. she, we, because her other alternative was for her daughters to take care of her. And she didn't want that. <laughs> apparently we'd sucked at it for the last so few weeks. She, so. <laughs> so she, because our mother was the queen of last words. So we feel like that was her way of getting the last word in. Uh-huh. Very much. Okay. So. I'm out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, we look back, we've talked about this, that we felt like that, you know, when she got that diagnosis, that three months, that basically something very important to know about her, she's very strong in her faith. And she was very, very um, okay with death. She knew what was after it didn't scare her. Never did. We sat down early on in cancer and had the conversation about, we need you to tell us what you want to happen and when and what. And, and so we follow your wishes and she never was scared of it. And so yeah. I, I, I personally kind of feel like that when she got the three month call, so to speak, that she was like, okay, there's nothing else to be done. So why should I linger around and worry about this? Well, and she, even to the point, and this may seem more morbid to some people but she was even um we one day I said okay mom you know we need to know some things because you know at some point I mean everybody's gonna die at some point we already know that but we need to know some things like where things are what you want done where it needs to go whatever she's like okay so she gets on the phone she calls the bank she said hey do you have a trustee there could we could he come by the house my all my kids are here and we need to have a talk so he comes in, introduces himself, and we're like, okay, so what's the procedure? What are we responsible for when this happens? What do we need to, he kept, he was very, it was really strange because the three, the three of us kids and mom are super outspoken and very, we talk about everything. And so, and I think he was a little uncomfortable at first because he said that <laughs> upon your mom's passing and no. we were like, okay, no, when she dies, that's what we're talking about when she dies what do we need to do? And so he, after being with us, I think then he got a little more comfortable with it. And, and that was awesome for me because I felt like at least things were done the way she wanted them done. And thing you knew that she, she had a funeral folder and we already knew that, okay, here's all the, it was a blessing and a curse because there was about hundred poems in there. Okay. How are you supposed to pick the best one you like? Three yeah, pages. You could have never, but no, it was, it was comforting in that fact that we were able to know those things. And we had that conversation with her. Oh my gosh, probably the summer of 19. I know it was in the summer. So it's not like we did this in the last five months of her life. We did it early on and had those conversations that that's kind of how our process went as far as with her death. And, and I, we, I don't know about you, Cinda, but I feel like that, you know, when the, when the word went out, it was kind of like, everybody was like, you guys have been lying to us. You know, no one told us she was this bad. And we're like, no, you don't understand. She wasn't this bad. It was just like I said, I feel like she just decided and she was done. And when she was done, that was it. Yeah. We didn't know three months meant six days. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know that we were prepared for that, but yeah, that's kind of how, that's kind of how our transition was as far as with her diagnosis, diagnosis to death, I guess, if you want to say. So one of the things when you said, we're going to take you home tomorrow, I thought, well, she did go home, but maybe she had a different home in mind than you guys did. You know, well, that she... was her getting the last word. <laughs> oh, no, you aren't. I'm going home now. That's probably what she was thinking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and the other thing about, you know, if both of you voiced that you didn't want you didn't want her to be in pain or to see her suffer. That's probably why she didn't want you guys taking care of her because your memories of her are all like up until the point until you said the party was September 6th. So you had literally had, you know, three weeks of watching her decline instead of people who have years and years and years and years of that. And unfortunately it takes your brain a long time to get past all that when when that's, you know, what your most recent past has been, man, it sounds, if she had that much control over her mental capacity and her physical 
capacity, like, wow, that's just amazing. That's just like, that's how I want to go. I pray. I, that I have no God doubt she enough. did. And, and that probably was like, you know, in her mind, a gift to you two, to not, and your brother, you know, to not have to watch her be in pain. She wasn't alone like that. It too is a big, that's where I thought part of your story was going to be when, when we were emailing and you said September, 2020, I was like, oh, because I've heard some horror stories about people yeah, dying no. alone. And I don't know if it was a uh, positive, but, you know, she was on that staff at that hospital as a auxiliary volunteer. volunteer. So she knew all those ladies that were working the front desk. And, you know, so when somebody showed up, they're like, no, 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 I've got them. And they would just bring them back to the room. So I don't know if it was a help in our corner or not, but it, it didn't matter. They weren't keeping people out at that point. I mean, we were going to do what we were going to do, I think. So it's been about 18 months since she's been gone. So tell me how, you know, what it's been like for you now being a daughter without a mom. You're also moms without moms. You know, I toyed around with that name too. Tell us, share about how it's been for you for the past 18 months. Well, I can tell you. Well, it sucks. (laughs) Yes, it does. It sure does. Yes, it does. And I'm sorry, I didn't tell you it's going to suck for you until, until it's your time. So it doesn't, I am sorry. I'm not a believer of those that, you know, time heals all wounds and that it, it doesn't go away. And it's been 38 years for me. So that's funny you say that. Cause I just told my sister, I said, okay, in all the things, cause I'm kind of doing some mindset things right now and mindfulness stuff. And I said, the important, it's not that gr- you can't grieve. Grief is fine. Being sad is fine. It's that you don't stay there. And I said, obviously I'm going to be, I'm going to start crying now. Obviously I'm going to cry when I talk about her because it's sad and I miss her. And so, but I just can't stay in that place all the time. I have to learn to leave that place sometimes. So we were just talking about that. I'm like, I say, screw you to anybody that says you can't be sad. Cause that's, I'm sorry. That's, that's just life. And I ran, I went through this with my own family for probably several, I don't even know. I can't even tell you, but I remember my husband asking my kids, is there something wrong with your mom? And my kids are like, um, she's sad. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm like a cat. I want to go away and I want you to leave me alone and I want to do my thing. And when I'm okay, I'll come back out, but I don't want you bugging me. I don't want you to ask me questions. I just wanted to go be sad. So I don't know if Christy's that way, but I, we've talked every freaking day and for the last 18 months, numerous times a day. So there's that. Oh, and, and we did, we, I'm going to say this this way because it is true and you'll understand it when I explain it a little further, we had a blessing and a curse. Our mother lived in a five bedroom home. Okay. Five bedroom home. And you've heard us talk about everything was decorated to the hilt. This was a full five bedroom home. Our children were mad, mine were mad, I don't know about yours, when they showed up for the funeral and they went into the bathroom and they were gonna brush their teeth or comb their hair or shave their legs in the shower or whatever. And we'd already cleaned all the bathrooms out. And they knew if you showed up at grandma's house, you didn't have to bring anything. I mean, she had everything down to the personal products we would use. You didn't have to take anything. So we, after she died, there was no question the house would be sold. I mean, none of us were going to stay there. We had to embark upon the journey of cleaning out a five bedroom house to the magnitude of the organized hoarder is what we used to call her because she was an organized hoarder. All 55 fingernail clippers. I'm pretty sure there are that many in her house, at least. And I wished I would 28 pillows. Oh yeah, we did counter pillows and there was a lot of pillows in her house. That's just bed pillows. That wasn't even decorative pillows, but yeah. But yeah. the part of that that was the blessing and the curse was, was that our, our we call her our third sister because we went to the funeral home and we included her in the obituary and, and they're like, the trustee with her trust was like, now wait a second, is there another sibling I didn't know about? We're like, no, she's just the other sister. Um, She got to enjoy doing this with us because literally from before mom died, I was home every single weekend. I would leave work on Friday and come home and we worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on Sunday, we made a list and we'd all go home and then we'd return the next Friday. And so every weekend from, you know, September until 
February. Well, Thanksgiving was when we finally listed the house and it sold less than 24 hours. And then we had a date. We had to be out by February 9th. And then it was like, oh, crap. Okay, now we got to seriously be doing stuff. Because we really left, we left the house surface. You wouldn't have known if you walked in our house that we'd done anything. We did everything underneath until we had Thanksgiving there with the kids. That was their last time to come home for a holiday there, basically, is what we had done. But you started to say something. I was just going to say prior to this, I, mom and I used to talk about, we'd have projects and I'd say, okay, you want to do a project? I'll come over. What do you want to do? Okay. We're going to clean out my craft room. Okay, mom. So I'd go over and we'd go through a drawer or something like, mom, you have like 60 styrofoam balls. Why? Why do you have 60 styrofoam balls? Well, you know, I just, and she didn't throw anything away. She kept everything. And so I was like, but let me tell you, it wasn't like hoarders at all. Her house was pristine. And so I said, okay, so we can get rid of these. Yep. Sure. Week later, she'd call me. I needed a styrofoam ball for this project. If you hadn't made me get rid of all of them, I wouldn't have, I would have one. And I'd be like, mother, you can go buy a 50 cent styrofoam ball. You don't have to have 60 of them at one time. So we had done all these projects. Uh, I thought we'd made a dent. We did not really had not made a dent since when we started cleaning out the house. But back to the story, I and I'm sure Christy was probably going here, but we were working down in the basement. Usually as we were cleaning out the house, there would come a point in the day, I'd be like, okay, guys, I'm done. I cannot do anymore. I'm mentally exhausted. I have to stop. We can't, let's have a drink. I don't know. Let's do something besides what we're doing. No, let's go have some uh, sugar babies, some milk studs, some hot tamales, some cheeses. We had our normal stash every weekend that we had in the house. We lived on sweets, (laughs) sugar, should I say? Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So we were in the basement and we were going through, she had kind of an office down there and we were going through it. And I pulled out one of the drawers and I'm probably gonna start crying talking about it, but I, you want me to really make when I, cry? No. When I was taking out stuff out of the drawer, I was like, oh my God, this is so sad. And they're like, what? And I said, the effing paper clips. And they're like, what? I said, when you're taking paper clips out of a drawer, that is like, that, that's final. That's it. I mean, you know, it's different to haul a piece of furniture out of a house. It's furniture. What the heck? No big deal paper clips that's like personal that is scrapping the bottom of the drawer you know and so I was like okay I'm out I'm done I'm not doing that we're done for the day I'm taking these paper clips home with me (laughs) and that tape measure no well and I think that's where we were going with this is that we were um it became this blessing and a curse became, it was a healing process for us because we spent every weekend together, the three of us going through this stuff and having to, uh, you know, going through the memories as we did it. And, and although it was hard, it was still a, it was a healing process. I feel like we got to grieve every, we cried every weekend. We did, you know, all the things we needed to do, but I feel like as we went through that stuff, I, to this day, cherish every single minute we spent in that house doing that flamingo because one I got to spend time with my sisters and two we got to help each other through those moments that were just crappy moments I mean just it sucks and there's nothing you can do about it but going through her stuff just piece by piece, the little things like the paper clips or the 29 or 28 pillows and the how many god awful toenail clippers or tweezers or stuff we had. But it just, it was our way of processing. And we got to do that every weekend together. And we got to work through a lot of emotions. And there's nothing worse than for the last, what, 12 14 months we haven't been able to do that every weekend anymore it's you know that's been tough because or no it's not been 12 14 months I don't know how long it's been but anyway that was something that we really got to do together and I think being able to get together and talk and share stories and cuss and vent on whatever whatever happened that week that took you down that you just all of a sudden it hits you because it does it just hits you like a brick and you never know what it's going to be that that does just bring all of it right back to the surface 
it allowed us to uh, process, I guess that's the biggest word I can come up with. I, I want to say one thing about if anybody has to do this, if they have to go through a house or something that I would encourage is, you know, even if you're in a rush to get out, don't just get rid of stuff. You know, that is not a good time to get rid of stuff. If you have to put it in totes and put it in storage because you will not, even now, 18 months later, we'll have one of the grandkids will say, hey, what did you do with, or like, for crying out loud, why didn't you say something 18 months ago if you wanted it? Well, they weren't in a place to think about what would might be important to them. And so fortunately, we're our mother's daughters and we have a lot of crap in storage. <laughs> so there's a good chance we might've kept it if it wasn't furniture or clothes because we did get rid of all that. But I, I highly encourage people to not, not just, pitch it just don't pitch it yet because you just don't know you don't know what might even be important to you later that you didn't think was now so well and and like I said with the beginning of that whole statement was is I know it sounds daunting and I know it's a huge task to go through people's stuff when they die but I wouldn't have traded that for the world I mean honestly it, it sucked oh my gosh did it suck but like I said, it, it, treasure it. Look at it. Look at it as another gift they gave you. I guess if you, I don't know if I want to say that, man, I, my basement's full right now. Cause I, anything we didn't know what to do with, it came to my, I have an office and I'm full of unfinished basements, which is all down there. And we're going to have to go through it again. But like she said, I think at some point we'll be in a different frame of mind where we can deal with that stuff then and maybe process it in the right way. If there is ever a right way. I think they usually say like the, for six months, don't, you know, like don't make any big decisions about stuff like that for at least six months. So thank goodness that you guys kept all that. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Cause and, we basically in seven months had her house sold and unloaded and we were out of it essentially, yeah. which is, I know kind of odd for people, but well, that was also the market then. Yeah. With everything else that was going on, the house, that's when the housing market was going nuts, right? Oh, yeah. We literally yeah. listed it one day. It went live on a Thursday night, and we already had a full offer on Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So it was gone like that. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are giving a great example of um, meeting and sitting with your grief, because I think a lot of times people have you have the death and then you have a service and, you know, after a couple of weeks, everybody goes away and everybody else goes back to their normal life, even though your normal life will never be the same. Um, but people don't ever really spend the time processing the word you kept using, Christy, processing their grief. And that's, that's to me, like one of the worst one of the hardest things that are, you know, we haven't been taught, we haven't been taught how to grieve, we haven't been given tools to grieve, and this, the talking and the sharing, and I'm assuming as you're going through things, you'd be like, oh my gosh, remember this, you remember that Christmas when she decorated with these, you know, precious moments, or these teddy bears, or these styrofoam balls, or whatever, so I'm sure it was just such a, like you said, a blessing and a curse, but in the, at the end result was a time of healing for all three of you, because I mean, you you know, your sister from another mister was, was part of your mom's life. Your mom was a part of her life for 35 years, you said, right? So yeah. I would say that, you know, common law wife is seven years. So I would say she was a common law, you know, mom for her if it's 35 years. So um, yeah, right. what a, you know, from an outsider, for me, from not having to go through the hard part of what you guys did, what a, what a blessing. And, you know, for you to have that time to spend healing together. I think one of the things that, that I took away that I found after the fact was that, you know, I've had friends that have lost loved ones, moms, whatever it may be. And I, I realized, you know, all those times, which I, don't get me wrong. I truly believe that there is, there is better things than suffering. I mean, sometimes death is the better option. You know, I, you don't want somebody suffering. And I do believe that, but for me to walk up and say, you know, they're in a better place. It's a true statement. It is a true statement. Don't get me wrong. But I, I didn't realize what I was doing to people. And now it's like, you know what? 
I can walk up to them and I can say, you know what, you know, at least they're not in pain, but it just sucks. There's no, there's no word you can tell anyone that's going to make anything any better. It just sucks. And it's going to suck for a long time. And you're not, <laughs> what say? you're not depressed. You're just sad. I mean, it just, you just can't overcome it and it's going to hit you whenever. But I, I felt bad after that. I thought, you yeah, know, man, maybe Cinda made the comment one time, I guess I really didn't maybe give mom enough um, sympathy when her mom died, you know, when she passed, you know, it, it, how it affected her. We just kind of went on with life and, and now we kind of see the other side of that. And I don't know, I, I guess I have more empathy now for what other people are going through because we've been there. Mm-hmm. I did a whole podcast on those things. They're called platitudes. I didn't know they had a name until I started looking into it. But unfortunately, a lot of those commonly used phrases that people go to because they don't know what to say are not really helpful when you're deep in the pit of, you know, loss and grief. And I'm like, there's no, there's no words that I can say that are going to make any difference to what you're going through right now. But I'm here for you. And, you know. And it sucks. Basically, that is all you can say. It sucks. Yeah. And it's going to continue to suck for a while. And then it'll be like waves that come and go. And sometimes it'll be a hurricane. And sometimes it won't, you know, it'll just be nice little soft waves. But um, yeah, it just plain sucks. Well, and you know, what really is the pits is that whenever any of us got on the road, that's immediately what we did was we called our mom. And so all three of us now, it's like, Okay, so then I call Christy. If she doesn't answer, then I call Craig. And I'm like, okay, if they know they don't answer, now what? Now who am I supposed to call? You people are not really cooperating here. <laughs> and and the other the other day we had something happen and we were trying to think of something and it's like the person we could call that would know the answer is not here to call to ask. So, you know, you have run into that. I was just going to say, you made the comment that we lived in a small town, but people don't understand small towns at all. We grew up in a town of 200, so that's how small our town was. And so mother knew everyone, knew everything, knew, you know, all the stuff. So whenever we have a question about something from when we were growing up, we would always call her and say, hey, you know, so-and-so, and what was their dog's puppy's name? And she'd know. And so we now we don't have anybody to call because nobody's that knowledgeable about the town we grew up in. Yeah. Well, I know we, we shared with you a little bit, and other people don't know this, but... Um, our sister from another mister, you know, she just lost her dad three weeks, Monday, three weeks today, Monday. Yeah. Monday. He died Monday. on the Monday morning. And, um, that was our mother's boyfriend for the 30 odd years. And I jokingly said to her, I said, you know, first off, I said to her, I said, I'm sure mom's up there going, I wasn't ready for you yet. I had much more to do. I didn't want you here. <laughs> what the heck are you doing here? But his kind of situation was the same way. He kind of had gotten the diagnosis that he had about three, two to three months to live. And he lasted two days. You know, she just the other day texted both of us and said, why can't people understand that you just, I'm just sad and I'm going to be sad because they were thinking that she was like really depressed and they were worried about her. And it's like, it's been three weeks. You're allowed, you're allowed to be sad and you're going to be, and, and we were very blunt with her and said, and I'm sorry, it doesn't get any better. It's going to suck for a long time. And she goes, you guys are a hell of a lot of help. And I said, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, we both had been struggling this week and we flat out told her, you know, I didn't want to go to work one day because I just couldn't face work. Don't ask why I have absolutely no clue. And I just didn't want to do it, but it, it's just those feelings that you just have to work through them and you don't know how sometimes, but mm-hmm. sadness mm-hmm. is going to hit. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, you know, you're, um, one of the quotes I like is grief is love with nowhere to go. So if you loved somebody tremendously, you're going to have tremendous heartache. You know, your, your mom was June Cleaver. She was all kinds of things to you as as kids growing up and then as you had family families of your own that your own families were so comfortable with going there and being there and knowing that she was going to provide this you know safe place for them to be that's a big that's a big loss yeah yeah one of the things that you know just to show her heart 
not that we haven't probably said enough that people know how what type of a person she was but we went through some of her stuff she had a notebook that always sat by her chair and in that notebook was a list and it said I don't even remember what it said at the top COVID or something like it was a list of people she was checking on during COVID and we I found it kind of hilarious because I think there was only what three of the granddaughters on the list yeah I don't even think I was on it I don't think I was. But there was probably 45 people on there and their phone numbers. And she would make a mark next to them if she'd called and checked in on them to make sure they were okay. So I usually try to finish the podcast with, uh, if you have a final tip that you would want to share, if there's anything that we missed that you want to make sure that you get to share with the listeners. I feel like we kind of shared them in there. We kind of worked them all in, but yeah. like I said, mine was that I've, I've learned that, that when you lose someone, the words that I used to say aren't the ones that I that you need to be saying. People don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And they're not hearing it that way. And it just, like I said, it sucks. And you're going to be sad and you're not suicidal. You're not depressed. You're not going to do anything crazy, but it's just, you've got to process it. Everyone processes in their own way and you have to be okay with that. And it's okay to show that. And it's okay to, uh, let that continue for as long as you need it to. I mean, like you said, Cinda made the comment, you can't, you can't cry all the time. Well, yeah, maybe you can, but it's just, it's going to jump out and grab you when you least expect it. And that's okay. Because everyone has their way of processing. So don't be afraid to let that happen. Because I think if you don't process it, like us going through the house, if you don't take that time to do that, it, you, you're not working with, there's steps. I think we've done the steps 15 different directions. I think we, I mean, whatever the griefing steps are, you know, denial and all of that. I feel like I've probably done them all intertwined backwards and three times Sunday. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's something, it's very personal and you can't look at a roadmap and think that that is going to actually be the way it's going to happen because it doesn't. I, well, I was just going to say, I, everybody grieves differently and I, there's no right or wrong way because everybody's going to, you know, for one, they're going to miss people differently. You know, I like when you brought up about, I felt bad that I didn't give my mother more sympathy even when her mom died. And so I, I felt bad about that. I was like, Holy cow. Why I must've been horrible that I didn't, you know, Reckon, and maybe mom dealt with that better. I don't know. Maybe that's why. And I didn't think she needed my sympathy. So I just didn't, you know, I just didn't give it to her. But um, yeah, I don't let anybody tell you how to grieve because there's no right or wrong way for sure. I was never a crier. Now I freaking cry all the time. And I don't know if that's hormones or if it's just, I don't know. I'm just sad. And I had, I, I told them, I said, I hadn't cried for like eight years because my daughter had done some really amazing things that I had to learn how to block it so that when she was in the middle of it, I wasn't getting emotional. So she would know that it was a big deal. And so I learned how to really control my emotions. Well, that all went to hell in a handbag really quick. So we're just a basket case altogether, usually. That mm -hmm. you both have changed your relationship with crying. Um, my thing was, like, I noticed I was a kid, but like, it made people uncomfortable when I, you know, like you go back to school, you're 13, you're like, oh, my mom died this summer. You know, this is before social media, but you can't control, like somebody's uncomfortableness is not your responsibility. If they can't handle your grief, that's on them. That's not on you. So that's the one thing that I would add to both of your things that you're saying is don't and, and process your grief the way you need to, because your grief is your grief and nobody else can experience it. Or, or can tell you how to experience it the right way. There is no right way. And don't change it to please other people. If that makes them uncomfortable, that's on them. That's not on Oh, them. I guarantee I've done that. Yeah. I guarantee so I've done that. So yeah. what? Right. So what? Well, I had made the comment to my, well, I think both my sisters were there that day when I was like, why did my mom have to die? Or our mom, I probably said why did our mom have to die? You know, there's a lot of shitty people in this world. Why did she have to die? And I'm sure I was just, so after our other sister's dad died three weeks ago, she made the same comment again. She's like, why, why did they have to die? There's so much worse people in the world. I said, I don't know. I don't know. 
greater power at work we don't know the answer to. Maybe it was to teach us something. She's still going to get the last word, isn't she? <laughs> yep. I, I just heard it said um, at a, a church we've been going to, it said some answers you'll just never get on this side of heaven. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. It was so great to watch you both interact and you know, see, I didn't, I didn't have to do a whole lot of um, guiding the process because I knew as soon as you guys would get going that you would be, it would just be like having a conversation. So I really appreciate you um, allowing us to be a part of it. Thank you. Yes, thank you for allowing us to tell our story too. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.